This morning's passage from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, the first 14 verses. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to, to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we come to you with a familiar story. And Father, we pray that uh, you would cause our hearts to see it afresh, that this morning as we celebrate and anticipate celebrating the upcoming birth of our Lord and Savior, Lord God, we just pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds for that, that through all of this, Lord, you are most glorified for doing something so miraculously loving for each and every one of us. And Lord God, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be of you and your spirit and be glorifying unto your ear. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are looking at a story that we've heard or read perhaps hundreds of times throughout the course of our lives. And whenever that happens, we run the risk of those stories not having the same effect, not pricking our hearts and minds to the extent that they should. I never want us to get tired of reading this story. I never want us to tire or grow cold of the riches and majesty and love that is contained in these few verses in the story of the birth of our Savior. It is a miraculous story, a miraculous story in so many ways. The love of God is beyond measure and it plays itself out so beautifully throughout the course of these few verses. So let let us not let the mundane overcome the miraculous this morning in this season. Let us see it as if we're seeing it for the very first time. Let us let the Spirit speak to our hearts and demonstrate to us 
God's love, his majesty, his beauty, his providence, and all that he is, as we look to these few verses this morning that describe so poignantly the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may he be glorified as we look at these verses. So we look at the first three. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And it came to pass. It happened. It's what Luke wants us to know with those first words. It's not a fairy tale. It's not folklore. It happened. It happened. He doesn't start this by saying, once upon a time in a land far away, it came to pass. It happened. It's a real story about true and real events. And even more to give credence to this story, Luke goes into great detail of telling us who the rulers are and where the players lived and everything that's going on about that or with respect to that. If this were a fairy tale, none of these actual things that we can look up in human history and verify outside the Bible would have been mentioned. It's not folklore, it's not fairy tale. It is a true event that took place. It's a beautiful story, and it's a story about three kings. Three kings. It's a story about a Roman king who thinks he's doing this according to his own will. Oh, the folly of that belief, right? It's about a young baby that comes and is laid in a cattle trough who is and will be forevermore the king of kings, the lord of lords. And it is about a loving father, the father God, that from eternity past decreed that on this day at this time his son would take the form of a human being And come to this earth for all of us. It is truly a story of three magnificent, the latter two greater. Caesar Augustus wasn't his real name. His his given name was Octavius, Gaius Octavius. For those of you that are history buffs, incredibly enough, he was Julius Julius Caesar's great nephew. But he caught the eye of his great uncle, and his great uncle loved him dearly, to the point that he even adopted young Octavius and made him his son. So that whenever he was killed, the Senate 
joined together and voted that he would become emperor of Rome. And so they gave him a title that the Jews despised because it is the title of a deity. They gave him a title that is an eternal title, Augustus. The Jews believed that only God the Father could be referred to with this title. It was sort of a backhanded slap at the Jews, but nonetheless that was the title he was given. Julius Caesar, as I said, was assassinated in 44 B.C. And Caesar Augustus took the throne at the ripe young age of 19. 19 years old whenever he took over for his great uncle, dad. What's the difference? They split the kingdom up three ways. And he ruled in a triumphant alongside Mark Antony. Remember Mark Antony? Who was Mark Antony's good friend? Cleopatra, right? As well as Marcus Lepidus. So you have all those players and split the kingdom up, and then what happens? Nobody can get along. Nobody can get along. Each thinks that they would do a better job of ruling the other's kingdom than what they were doing. And so he defeated Mark Antony in the Battle of Actium, and Mark Antony then committed suicide. And he drove Lepidus into exile. So the entire kingdom was Caesar Augustus and for his rule. It was a huge kingdom. But he knew that in order to rule a huge kingdom, it took a lot of money. And what was the easiest way to get money to rule that kingdom? Take it from everybody else, right? We learned a lot from the Roman Empire. So we're going to take it from everybody else, but in order to take it from everybody else, then we need to find out who everybody else is. So we have a census. I think we had one last year, did we not? All right. So they have a census in in order for them to take a head count of how many people there were in the kingdom. And to be registered, you had to return to the city of your birth. Incidentally enough, this decree really isn't Caesar Augustus' decree, is it? As I stand back and I watch this and I see God the Father and his magnificent planning and the way that it was done, Caesar Augustus was but a mere pawn in the birth of our Lord and Savior. Because it was at that moment in time, God worked in and through an evil leader to bring his son to the birthplace that was prophesied about 700 years before. I find that rather amazing. I find that way cool. And I'm quite certain if Caesar Augustus was here and we would ask him, did you do that? I had no idea. Did you feel like God was overruling your will or making you do something you didn't? No, I was doing what I wanted to do because I was stealing money from everybody that was in my kingdom. 
But you see, God's majestic, beautiful, sovereign hand at work in those who do evil things. For all His glory. And for our good. For our good. I hope you can see that. If this doesn't go back and reflect Romans 8, 28, there's nothing else in the Bible that does, right? You see... Someone wanting to steal the money of everybody that lived in the kingdom. And what's God doing in and through that is giving us a Savior through that evil deed. If that doesn't give it us hope in knowing that all things work together for our good, nothing will. Nothing will. It's a beautiful story. It shows God's love and His majesty is wit. I couldn't come up with that. Who could dream of something like that? Truly amazing to see the hand of God at work in something so destructive. That's why when we see these tornadoes, right? And, and you see everything that goes on and all the pain that's in that. God's still God in Romans 8, 28, still Romans 8, 28, and it's still being worked out for our good, regardless of what we see in it from 30,000 feet. Joseph went up from Galilee, out of Nazareth, his home, or where he was staying, to his hometown, place of birth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was born of the lineage of David. So Joseph goes to Bethlehem to be registered because he is in the lineage of David. The females did not have to go. Joseph was required to go. Mary was not. But she was really pregnant. And I'm quite certain Joseph didn't want to leave her in Nazareth by herself. Not only did he not want to miss the birth of his baby, I say his baby, let's say the baby, but there probably wasn't, weren't many people that were willing to help. You've got to go back and take the context in. We, we read this and we see it in the abstract without thinking about mankind, Right? And how cruel people can be. I'm quite certain that she was disgraced in the village in which she lived. I'm quite certain that more than one person accused her of some sort of infidelity. Claimed she was nuts. And oh, that poor Joseph... Why in the world would he put up with that? She was shamed probably by most of everyone that knew, knew her. Now there are two types of shame, right? I will say that there is a good type of shame. When we sin or we do something bad and the Holy Spirit convicts us of that, we feel, and we should feel, a sense of shame. That's good shame. Because you see, it's that shame that sears in your mind that you never forget that's going to serve as a deterrent the next time you're in that situation. 
And I see Paul. How many times did Paul see Stephen being stoned to death throughout the course of his life? And oh, the shame that must have come about as he held the coats of those who cast the stones to kill him. That's shame. That's good shame. That's God's way of making us holy. But oh, we humans, we like to try to get around the things that make us uncomfortable, don't we? So what we do is we like to take sin and redefine it and get a lot of people to agree with us to say that it's okay. If we took our lifestyle and rewound it 50 years, they wouldn't know us. Because there was a great deal of good shame at that time for most of the things that happen in this world today. But we've lost that sense of shame. We don't want anybody to feel bad about anything. There's another shame. An unwarranted shame. An unjustified shame. Comes from an accusing of something that didn't happen. And that's where Mary was. I'm quite certain it was difficult for her to walk the streets. Just because everybody was nudging their wife or husband talking about how crazy she was and poor Joseph, how could she have done that to him? No wonder she went to Elizabeth and spent so much time up there, right? Just get away from everybody. So she probably didn't have a whole lot of help if she had stood or stayed in Nazareth at that time. So she comes along with Joseph. And I'm almost certain that, as a side note, that Jesus took a lot of that shame too. I think Brad this morning, he's not in here, but I think he this morning went to John. And I'm sure they referred to Jesus as an illegitimate child. You know, how many times did people make fun of him, laugh at him, shame him unjustly, just because they didn't know and didn't understand? Tell him that, hey, Joseph isn't his real dad. We don't really know who his dad is, but we know it's not Joseph. How many times did he have to deal with that? So, Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem to be registered, and she is with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. That nine-month period had elapsed. God's timing. (coughs) Excuse me. God's timing. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So they make it the roughly 90 miles, on foot and with the help of a donkey. And they arrive at Bethlehem, and it probably took them 8 to 10 days to make this journey. It wasn't like they just got in the car and, and drove. And it wasn't an easy journey. Anybody ever rode a donkey? You have? Was it a tame donkey or was it a wild donkey? It bucked a lot. (laughs) But even leaving that aside, it's not a very comfortable ride. Right? Not a fun trip. And there you have the very pregnant Mary walking, no doubt, legs, feet swollen, just miserable. I wouldn't know, but I've been told. 
And then she's even riding on a donkey and all that jarring and everything else that's going on for 90 miles. 90 miles. I wouldn't be in a very good mood after we got to Bethlehem, would I? (laughs) You wouldn't either. (laughs) So they look for a place to stay. Has anybody else ever been in this situation? I have, and it does not make me a happy person. You're tired, you're exhausted, your wife's not happy, you're trying to find a place to stay the night, you go in, "Uh uh-uh, got nothing for you. Very difficult to deal with. Not to mention, your wife is very pregnant, and she's saying, oh, by the way, I'm having some contractions. Wow. Can you imagine? Add to this, it's Mary's firstborn. That's a big deal, right? I mean, she's been told that it is the Son of God that's coming. Not only that, it is her firstborn. And those of you that have had multiple kids... Know that you want everything to be perfect, right? Everything's got to be perfect. The room's got to be decorated. We've got to have everything just perfect for that firstborn to come. And when he or she comes, there's all kinds of pictures. There's everything that happens. When you get to the third, there's never a picture. There's nothing really exists. You don't really worry about anybody washing their hands before they pick him up. It's just like, here. This is her firstborn. It's a big deal to her it's a big deal he's special in so many ways and yet she can't even find a place to be able to lay down to birth this child can't even find a place to lay down and birth this child no doubt there was a great deal of anxiety and so they find a livestock stable. A livestock stable. This was out of necessity, folks. I mean, she's really to the point where I can't go any further. So she gives birth, and they lay the Son of God, the irony of it all, The creator of heavens and earth, the creator of all things, the one who breathes everything into existence by him and through him is laid in a cattle trough where they feed and water the animals. The savior of the world is placed in a cattle trough. And we glamorize the major scene and it's not up here but the little bitty one's there with all that nice straw and a blankie, and it looks really cool. It wasn't that way. It was not. It was cold. It was dank, damp, stinky. A miserable place for a grown human to live, let alone a newborn baby who, oh, by the way, is God. So the reality looked nothing like what we envision it today so they have Jesus they put him in the manger 
And there were in the same country shepherds living out in fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. So you ever wonder why this is included in the narrative? Shepherds were not well thought of in society. God has a unique way of taking the base things in life and turning our system upside down. They stunk. They lived out in the field. They lived with their animals. They slept with their animals. They really had, they were at the lowest of the pecking order in the society other than slaves. And yet, God chose them. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. But God has chosen the foolish, thing, foolish things in the world to put to shame the wise. And he's chosen the weak things in the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. The shepherds had no hidden agenda. They weren't trying to do something to get a leg up or something to help themselves. They weren't trying to protect their job or their status in society or anything like that. They represented the salt of the earth because that's what they were. They were people who worked hard, spoke the truth, and didn't engage in pettiness. So they were watching their flock in their fields at night. It's dark. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is the Shekinah glory of God. It is the glory of God that shone around all of them when this angel appeared. And I can't imagine what the shepherds must have felt whenever they see this. And we know that it's not like, oh yeah, well, Jesus is born, we're going, no, it's not that at all. They were surprised, they were scared to death. They were greatly afraid, to quote the text. They were terrified. Fear must have no doubt overcame them. And to reinforce that, we have the angel's first words, do not be afraid. And you've heard me say this many times. But when the glory of God is shining through an angel and appears to fallen man, trembling comes over that person. It's just our fallen nature. Because of who we are as sinful man, when we see that beautiful, perfect glory of God, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And if you go back and you think about this entire story to where it began with John the Baptist, do you remember that? Zacharias, the angel appeared to him. The first thing the angel said was, be not afraid. Mary, what did the angel say to Mary? Don't be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid. The shepherds, don't be afraid. Same thing at the tomb, right? The women went to the tomb. Angel appeared, said, women, don't be afraid. Didn't tell that to the guards. The guards were terrified, and what happened? They passed out. So when the Shekinah glory falls on men, 
there is a fearful expectation of judgment. And that expectation of judgment overwhelms. But nonetheless, don't be afraid before I, because I bring you good tidings. I bring you good news. Good news of what? Great joy. Good news of great joy. Joy. That is Jesus. It is the joy that comes to this world through him. I give you good news of great joy. It is Jesus that is that great joy. So to know Jesus is to know that joy. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the angel tells the shepherds, that the Savior has been born, and He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then, what a scene this must have been. There was with the angel a multitude. I don't know how many that is. More than two. Okay, we'll just go with that. A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So a multitude of angels show up, and can you imagine this sight? I mean, I think I would be pinching myself at this moment, right? I mean, you're you're out there with the sheep, minding your own business, and then all of heaven erupts. And all of these probably thousands of other heavenly hosts come and start praising God and singing. And the angels glorified God who is heaven. And he also, they also give us advice for here on earth, right? And on earth, peace, goodwill between God and man. Last week we looked at this passage in Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. This was written roughly 700 years before the Luke passage that we just talked about or we've been looking at. He is referred to as the Prince of Peace. So Jesus came to bridge the gap between us as sinners and God as righteous and that that peace would be there. But as I said last week, it is from that peace that peace overflows among all of us. And it extends to peace among and with us. If you want to know true peace, you have to know Jesus. There's no separating the two. He is the prince. He is the king of peace. We've been going through Romans 12 for several weeks, maybe months. And we've, Paul's been encouraging us not to retaliate when someone wrongs us. And to love those who don't necessarily love you. There is a requirement of peace in that, right? You can't do that if you don't have peace. But when 
this vertical relationship's good, then those horizontal relationships become good as well. And so the only way that we can do what Paul's encouraging us to do in Romans 12 is to know the Prince of Peace and to have that relationship with him. So it was when the angels were gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. So the angels depart back to the presence of God and the shepherds were no doubt excited and ecstatic to go see this Savior that had been born. So as we close this morning, let these aged old passages be renewed in our minds and hearts to put ourselves there to be able to see how that came about to see the sovereign hand of God working at just the right moment in time he didn't miss it by one nanosecond according to his plan to bring to earth his very son who didn't find being in heaven a thing to be grasped or held on to but gave up that glory for each of us so that we would have peace with the father and that we would have peace with each other. Amen? Let's all stand and pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this passage in Luke and how miraculous it is.